And now please turn with me in God's Word to Acts chapter 20 as we continue our study of the book of Acts this morning. As I'm sure you've noticed in the second half of the book of Acts, Luke is entirely focused upon the life and the ministry of one man, and that is the Apostle Paul. Having described Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road in chapter 9, Luke then picks up with Paul again in chapter 13, and from that point forward, he has had us follow this Apostle to the Gentiles on his three missionary journeys. So we've seen Paul preaching the gospel and planting churches and nourishing those churches throughout the regions of Asia and Macedonia and Greece. It is truly astonishing the accomplishments of this one man uh, during these formative years of church. That's the Apostle Paul. So by the time we get to the end of Paul's third missionary journey, which is where we are now in chapter 20, We might well imagine the church in those days saying, what in the world will we ever do without Paul? Well, they're about to find out. Because, spoiler alert, Paul is going to be arrested in Jerusalem in chapter 21, and thereupon sucked into the vortex of the Roman court system. And once in that judicial system, Paul will find it very difficult to get out. So that from chapter 21 all the way through the end of the book, chapter 28, spending a period of several years in Paul's life, the apostle to the Gentiles, the great apostle to the Gentiles, will be either in a Roman prison or in a Roman court or being escorted between the two, continually frustrated in his efforts to get his case resolved. And so, yes, among the evils, the great evils recognized in the Bible is the confounding inefficiency of government bureaucracy. This is an important phase in Paul's life, however. Some important things happen during these years, and we'll have plenty of time to consider that in coming weeks. But as for the churches in Asia, Macedonia, and Greece, let's just say that the Apostle Paul will no longer be present with them as he has been. And Paul seems to sense that here in Acts chapter 20. As we hear him say to the brothers in Ephesus as he sails past in verse 25, uh, almost like a man on his farewell tour, we'll hear him say, Indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. And we imagine their faces. Upon hearing those words, what? No more? What does Paul mean? We shall see his face no more. Paul is our teacher. Paul is our shepherd. What in the world will the church in the world do without the Apostle Paul? And the answer, which Paul himself shows us here in chapter 20, is this. There will be others. There'll be others. Not other apostles. As these apostles die off, then that holy office will die with them. Extinguished like a candle in the first 
century with the passing of the last of the apostles, the beloved John. But in the apostles' place, another church office will stand forward in the gap for duty, particularly to carry on the work of teaching and shepherding Christ's churches. And Paul, in fact, has already been making preparations for this transition. He's been teaching on this other office. He's been training men for it. And as we read in Acts 14.23, he's gone ahead and began appointing men to this office in every church in these regions. And now, here in Acts 20, the time has come for Paul to pass the baton of this teaching, shepherding ministry on to these other men. So it's like Elijah seeing the chariot of fire approaching Paul calls for these, his protégés, to come and to receive the mantle. Who are they? Number seven, we read from Meletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So friends, even though Paul and the other apostles are gone, we still have teachers. We still have shepherds. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he promised that he would be with us, his church, always, even to the end of the age. And he is with us, and he has and does provide for his people. And so it is to his elders now that we are to look for Christ's leading in our lives. And so let us listen close as the Apostle Paul here exhorts the elders of Ephesus at this critical moment in church history, commending them and the church that they serve to God unto the word of his grace. We please stand for the reading of God's word today. Let us pray. Lord God, we the church in in this generation, local congregation here in Loganville, Georgia, we are gathered, O Lord, before you now to receive this your word to us, which is our only rule of faith and practice. It is by this word that your spirit speaks not only to instruct us about the church, but to shape us by that instruction as a church, to make of us, Lord, that which we are to be in this world before you. We pray, Lord God, that you would now bless us with a biblical understanding of the office of elder and the place of that office and that ministry in our lives as Christ's people who follow him. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So our sermon text this morning is Acts chapter 20, verse 13, to the end of the chapter, verse 38. Listen now to the word of God. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Medellin. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. And the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregillium. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Melitus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, 
You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaiming it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, the savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as I began to look at this passage this week, the first question I asked is, who is this passage really about? Is it about Paul? Paul's the one talking. He has a lot to say about his own ministry. Is it about the church, the church in Ephesus, for whom Paul is clearly concerned? I said, no, this passage is really about these men who are identified as the elders of the Ephesian church. Paul's concern is for the church. But in his concern for the church, notice that he calls not for the pastor... Uh, nor does he call for the whole congregation to speak to them. But Paul here calls particularly for the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him. And he gives his reason for this in verse 28 when he says to these men, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So as the apostle here says, 
It is God who has made the elders, the men who, in the office of elder, the overseers of Christ's church. And that's why Paul summons the elders. And that's why, in his exhortation here, he, he sets before them his own example, and he charges them, and he commends them to God, and he prays with them, with the elders. So this sermon on Acts 20, 13-38 then is about elders. And then I want to stress that it's a sermon for all of us. We all need to, to hear what the Bible says about the office of elder and the church. Those who are serving as elders, of course, do. There's three of us in the room today. And then there are also others who will perhaps join us in this work in coming years. Our wives also need to hear these things if there need to be, if there to be understanding of the burdens that their husbands bear in this office. The members of our churches need to hear all these things. For the members of Presbyterian churches not only uh, identify and choose their elders and are and subject to and follow their elders, but also at times help the church to hold the elders accountable. Parents, grandparents should also be thinking about their little boys as they consider that they might now be raising the next generation of the church's elders. And visitors to Haines Creek Church ought to understand that membership here will mean accepting the oversight of our elders as their elders. And so I think that covers pretty much everyone. This subject impacts us all. And so while there are many passages in the Bible to consider on the subject, none are more important than Paul's exhortation of the Ephesian elders here in Acts 20. So this morning, I particularly want to focus on these three things. The sobering responsibility of elders. The holy anxiety of elders for the church. And finally, the pastoral crutch upon which they must lean in their work. So first, the sobering responsibility of elders, which is that they're responsible to care for the church, which Jesus loves and for whom he died. Uh, I knew a young man in once who had, had not been in the church a long time, uh, not more than a year, I think. Uh, but he was a really charming young man, and, and he had a lot of gifts. And so his church approached him about becoming an elder. And uh, their intention was to put him in charge of uh, one of their ministry programs, probably the, the youth ministry. And this young man was, he was flattered, of course. He saw this as some sort of an honor, and he wanted to be helpful. And so he accepted the position and laid hands on him and he became an elder, an ordained elder in his Presbyterian church. And I knew the man and when I learned about this, when I got a chance, I pulled him aside uh, to say to him as best as I could, friend, this is serious, becoming an elder. Uh, and it's a lot more serious than I think you know. How can any of us really appreciate just how serious it is? Well, I tell you, you, you can't really get a sense of it, a, a, a due sense of the seriousness of our office just by hearing our titles or by, by watching the, the ceremonies of our ordination or, or taking note of our special seats in the church services or even in sitting in on the, the secret councils of our session meetings. 
which I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, are usually fairly mundane. Now, the only way to really appreciate the seriousness of being an elder in Christ's church is by seeing Christ's church through Christ's eyes. That's what Paul's trying to show the Ephesian elders in verse 28, where he says, Therefore, to heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, God's church, which he purchased with his own blood. Hmm. So when I, I look at my, with my own eyes at you, what do I see? I see families. I see nice families. I see fellow Christian families. I also see people who have problems, as all people have problems. And as your, your elder, uh, I'd like to help you if I can. That's what I see. But when I look at you again through Jesus' eyes, as Paul encourages me to do here, I see you differently than I saw you before. Because first I see the Lord himself, the Son of God, the Lion of Judah, in all his lionesque majesty, standing there in your midst, <coughs> over you as his church, and I am in awe of him. And then I look at you and I see, as I see how he looks at you, I see how much he loves you in the, at the cross of Calvary. He died for you, shed his own blood for you. So truly you are a special treasure to him. Above all the peoples of the earth. And so as out of his pierced hands, the risen Lord of glory hands you, commends you to, to me and to the other elders here as his servants, and says with a voice like thunder, take good care of this church of mine. For she means a great deal to me. Then I see you differently and feel differently about my responsibilities. As an elder, I, I feel here the familiar tension between his sovereignty and my responsibility. Because surely the church is still in Jesus' hands, right? Of course. Always. Ultimately. And yet in some sobering sense, he has handed you over and trusted the care of his flock into to my hands along with, with Joel and Josh the elders of Haynes Creek Church, and my fellow elders, to be sure, if we, upon assuming the sacred office, neglect or exploit or abuse these people, there will be grave consequences. The responsibility is quite solemn and real. There was a little controversy in our denomination a couple of years ago. Not a big controversy, just a little one. Concerning a description of the office of elder in our book of church order. And that it says there, among other things, that we the elders ought to be grave. And a few men in the denomination reading that in 2020 or whatever it was, uh, proposed to the, to the rest of us that this word grave really ought to be struck from the passage. Uh, and their concern, it seems, was mostly a matter of 
of public relations. This wasn't really the, the image that, that, that we, the day we're going for in the PCA, the church with all the grave Presbyterian elders. So they wanted to change it. So the rest of us took a long, hard look at this word that maybe we'd passed over without thinking much about it before. And we asked the question, what is, what is gravity? Well, gravity is what gives things weight. Without gravity, things are weightless. And they just float about in space. So what is it then for a man to be grave? Well, a man is said to be grave when he not only feels the great weight of his responsibility, but so feels them that others in his presence somehow feel it too. And having considered that, the elders of the PCA decided, without much ado, we better leave that word grave right where it is. And we did. To my fellow elders, I would urge, you cannot feign gravity. Feigned gravity is insufferable. You must have the genuine coin. And genuine gravity only comes of seeing the church that you serve through Christ's eyes. So try to do that as often as you can. To the rest of you, I would point out that as the elders learn to see you differently and better through Paul's words in Acts 20, 28, so likewise, you can understand us better through the same lens. If you ever come across an elder in the church who lacks gravity, who is flippant and seems to be in it just for the fun of it, be assured that this man's problem is that he doesn't understand just how much Jesus loves his church. So be wary of him. And as for those elders whom you do find to be grave, if that makes you somewhat uncomfortable, and it is a little uncomfortable, please be patient with them and pray for them, for they bear a great burden for you. That brings me to my second point which is about the, the holy anxiety of elders, which is an anxiety to protect the church which Jesus loves from false teachers. As a veterinarian, I, I've had people bring me to the office a German shepherd puppy, about six weeks old, so just beginning to sort of come out of that neonatal slumber and, and get a little bit lively. And their intention is that this, this little dog is to live with them as their pet in their one-bedroom apartment across the way. And, and they're very pleased. And yet I'm thinking, this is not a good idea. I say, well, German shepherds are beautiful. They're beautiful. And they're intelligent. They are intelligent. You know what else they are? They're nervous. They're nervous. And you know why they're nervous? It's because they're shepherding dogs. And shepherding dogs are bred to be nervous. Their nervousness fits them for their work as the guardians of valuable sheep. And so as cute as this puppy is, I cannot but see that, let's say a year from now, this little dog weighs 90 pounds. He's been cooped up in a one-bedroom apartment all day. You and your wife get home from your work and you're tired and you just want to chill on the couch. You're going to have a problem because your German shepherd is going to be a nervous wreck. 
And you can't actually deal with that with training. Do you know why? Because it's in his blood. That's the problem. So notice in verse 28 again that Paul describes the work of church elders as shepherding work. Therefore take heed to yourselves, Paul says to these men, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. So you discern that Paul's idea of church elders here is is not at all like the, the dreamy shepherd boys of romantic pastoral poetry, reclining in the green grass and the clouds and cuddling with the sheep. Rather, Paul sees the church's elders more like, like German shepherds, pacing nervously back and forth, back and forth, because they never know when some predator might appear to do some harm to Christ's lambs, and they don't mean to allow that to happen. Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders, you feel it, is just shot through with this holy anxiety. Verse 28, he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And again in verse 31, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. There's not an an ounce of relaxation in those words. Paul never slept, it seems. Night and day he watched, and he warned them for three years, he says. And what danger lurks to hurt Christ's sheep by day and by night? Verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. So what savage wolves does Paul mean there? He's talking about false teachers. Men who speak perverse things. Who twist the words of God and corrupt the doctrine of the apostles. After I'm gone, Paul says, I know they will come. How do you know? Because they always do. They always do. It's like Paul is looking out into the coming age of the church and saying, eyeing, as it were, our own very times, they will appear in your churches again and again and again. Whether invading us from without or rising up from within, Paul says, men who do not love Christ's church and would exploit our naivety for their own gain will enter into our churches with perverse doctrines to draw Christ's sheep away from Him and after themselves. Which is in effect to do what? To devour them. That's the metaphor. And I want you to notice, in this lengthy passage, so full of this holy anxiety, this concern for the church, this is the only concern that Paul expresses in the passage. He says nothing about government oppression. Only false teachers. And so it's the only charge to the elders of the Ephesian church. What do we do as Christ's elders? Why are we here? What is our job? According to Paul's exhortation, we are overseers and shepherds. 
who are to nervously, vigilantly, over the course of years, watch out over the flock in our care on Christ's behalf to protect you all from the insidious influence of false teachers in our time, with all their charm and all their flattery and all their predatory instincts for ensnaring the weak. Did he just call us the weak? He did. I know, I know, you have the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit. You've got this, right? Wrong. You don't have this. If you did, what would be the need of elders and your church? I'll tell you, with everything that life throws at you, all the confusion, you're vulnerable to the allure of false teachers. And yet at the same time, you are safeguarded by Jesus Christ himself through the watchfulness and the warnings of his elders. And so as your elders, please understand, I may not always seem interested in what you're saying to me. But when you start to talk about a book that you're reading or a podcast that you're listening to, I get very interested. And not because I'm necessarily as enamored with these authors and personalities as you are. And you may sense that. And if you find that insulting or patronizing, I apologize. But as elders, you know, we can't help it. It's in our blood. We may make lousy pets, but a healthy dose of holy anxiety for you is necessary for us to do our job. And as for our job, that brings me finally to the elders' pastoral crutch, which is to learn from and lean upon Jesus Christ himself if we are to be the good shepherds that we need to be. So this would be a good time to underscore the point that it is not I, nor is it Joel, nor is it Josh, or the three of us together, who is the good shepherd of the church. Uh, That is Jesus Christ. So I just want to dwell there for a moment and rejoice in that gospel truth. When David said in Psalm 23, when he spoke of the good shepherd who led him into green pastures in his life and beside still waters and whose presence with him in the valley of the shadow of death was such a comfort to him. Of whom did David speak? He said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And who is the Lord? A long time later in John 10, the greatest of David's sons and David's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, declared to his disciples, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. They do not take it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to take it again. And my sheep know my voice. And they follow me. And no one will snatch them from my hand. Whose hand? Not Jeff's hand. Not Joel's hand. Not Josh's hand. No one, says Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd concerning his sheep, no one shall snatch my sheep out of my hand. Right, so the last thing I want to do this morning is to, to take your certain security 
in the hand of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, and somehow change that into a certain insecurity in the infallible and sometimes fumbling hands of the three elders of Haynes Creek Church. So no, not, not I, not we, but He, the Lord, He is your Good Shepherd. And let, let all of us, elders and members alike, rejoice and take comfort in that this morning. There is no envy here on our part, I assure you. We are glad that it is so. But, as the great shepherd of a great flock will employ lesser shepherds as his under-shepherds, so they're called, to tend to all the needs of his many sheep, so Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd of the universal church, does call and utilize elders to care for his churches throughout the world. That's the way to think about it. That's how Peter taught us to think about it in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. He said, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. He said, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So ultimately, the work of of shepherding the church is Christ's. And we, who are elders of the church, we work for Him. And in our pastoral work, then we under-shepherds must learn from Him. And we must lean upon Him as our pastoral crutch. Returning to this passage, the Apostle Paul here speaks as an experienced under-shepherd. Who has learned much from Christ and leaned often upon Christ. And he's speaking to less experienced men to share with them some of the things that he had learned about this work from years of serving the Good Shepherd. So I see this as Jesus' teaching coming through Paul to the elders. And of all that Paul says in this passage, I'll particularly highlight these three things. First, in the care of Christ's sheep, Elders, do not hold back anything that is useful to them. And everything in the Bible is useful to them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, Paul said to Timothy. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the Old Testament, who's the man of God? It's the prophet, right? And so here, the man of God is not the Christian, but it's the Christian's minister. A man like Timothy, who ministers to the Christian congregation. And Paul in here is commending the whole Bible to Timothy as useful to his flock, and therefore useful to Timothy as their shepherd. Likewise, here in Acts 20, you hear Paul say in verse 20, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And again in verse 27, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So what is Paul getting at? In the Bible, the elder will find... Both things that his congregation wants to hear and things that he knows they don't want to hear. 
And if he's a weak and self-serving man, then he'll just avoid the offensive bits and give his flock only that doctrine which he knows that they love to hear from him. He's opening the Bible, hearing expository preaching, right? And everything seems right and everybody is satisfied. But that's not what the Good Shepherd did. It's not what Paul did. It's not what your elders are to do either. So elders, if it's, if it's their admiration that you most want and a secure position, then sure, just feed them lollipops every Sunday morning. And in doing that, you just fatten them for the slaughter. But if it's their spiritual health that you want because you love them as Christ loved them, then in your teaching, elders, give the Lord's flock the balanced diet of His inspired Word in Holy Scripture, both the bitter and the sweet, in their due proportions and relations. Secondly, in the care of Christ's sheep, elders, do not give them any reason to question your sincerity. They may or may not like you for what you say and do, but leave them with no choice but to acknowledge that you sincerely meant it for their good. Paul, in describing his own ministry in Ephesus, does this, we see, in two ways. First, he demonstrates from his many sufferings, his obvious willingness to suffer all his days, if need be, for the spiritual good of the church. He speaks in verse 19 of how he served the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which happened to me, By the plotting of the Jews. That was in Ephesus. And in verse 22 he declares. And see now I go up bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city. Saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Paul says. And nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel Of the grace of God. Now those are not empty words. Coming from the Apostle Paul. And anyone familiar with all that Paul suffered. In the course of his ministry. Cannot but see that. Call him crazy if you will. But he was in earnest. His long suffering. Is proof of his sincerity. And then secondly Paul also. Made it impossible for the Christians in Ephesus. To whom he ministered. To think that he was just in it for the money. For he says in verse 34. Yes you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who were with me. By which Paul means that as a tent maker. He worked a second job while in Ephesus. So that there should be no question among the brethren about his motives. Clearly Paul was not in it for the money. For a pastor who makes an impressive salary, salary and lives better than his sheep, that is not so clear. In both verses 18 and verse 34, Paul says to the Ephesians, you know, he says, you yourselves know, meaning you know what kind of man I was among you because I showed you my sincerity by my conduct. And again here, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, is the prime exemplar. He who being rich became poor for our sakes and suffered even unto death 
for all our spiritual good. So no matter how much you may not like them, it's not easy to dismiss the words of men who have loved you and served you like that. Finally then, elders in the care of Christ's sheep, having done all this, are themselves to know and let it be known that they have done all that they can do. There's a point, my fellow elders, where your responsibility ends and the responsibility of those to whom you minister begins. And you need to know that, and they need to know it too. So in verse 26, as Paul is leaving Ephesus never to return, we hear him say, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. The word men is not really there. He's saying I am innocent of the blood of all. That is all the sheep and the flock of Ephesus. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I said all to you that I was supposed to say to you, all that I could say to you, that would be of use to you. What you do with it then, Paul says, well, that's on you. So elders, consider that you can only fail in your ministry. If you fail to teach these people God's word in its integrity and in its entirety to the best of your ability. That's the measurehood, the measure of your manhood. Fears that people will leave the church if you offend them. The truth offends them. And that if you offend enough people that the church might fold and then where will you be? How embarrassing will that be? Well, those fears are a great obstacle to faithfulness. In pastoral ministry. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. That's what the Lord said to his servant Ezekiel. Knowing that his message for all its wholesome truth was not going to be well received. Because the people didn't want to hear it. So I'm just saying let the elders draw confidence from Paul's confidence here. As he sails away from Ephesus for the last time. That you can do no better for yourself men or for them than to speak God's truth to them in love, come what may. And as you learn from the Good Shepherd all about pastoral ministry, and there are many more lessons besides these, so also my fellow elders lean upon Him in the work. Learn from Him and lean upon Him in the work. With what love will you love His sheep? With what patience will you bear with them? With what wisdom will you guide them? With what faithfulness will you stand by them? With what authority will you command them? With what mercy will you pity and forgive them? With what comfort will you come to them when it's time to bind up all their wounds? The answer is always the same. Not with yours, but with his. So lean into him. And your work. That's the elders' crutch. And without it, not just the elders, but the church they shepherd has to fall. So don't neglect your daily walk with Jesus, men. Because if you do, when your people need you, you'll have nothing of use to give them. And you never know when they'll need you. I'll conclude with this. Here in the book of Acts, the great mission of the church is before us. That mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world for its salvation. And 
And what we're seeing here in chapter 20 is somewhere in the assured success of this mission, the day-to-day work of Christ's elders is to be noted and appreciated for its importance. It's not everything, certainly, but it is something, and something important. I'll put it this way, if this office of elder in our churches were to become degraded by unworthy men and despised by the Christian people so that they neither trust their elders nor think that they need them, what would be the consequence? The answer here is, do you see it? The wolves will devour us. That will be the consequence. And so for God's sake and for the sake of the world, we must not let that happen. And so Christians, let us all do our part to support this sacred office of our elders until Christ's return. And to continually seek the benefit of Christ himself in heaven through these men and their holy ministry. It is as important now as ever. Shall we pray?